Got my own amen corner up here. Sounds good. I invite you to give your attention to God's word as you'll find it in John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. Um, Rachel read this last week as the scripture reading, and this morning we're in it because we're considering this very vital matter of worship. Worship, we believe, is uh, that most important principle, that most important thing that we're about as believers, as a part of our church's vision and values. And here we find ourselves in the, in the midst of a, of a conversation that takes place between Jesus and a woman of Samaria whose name we do not know. It is extraordinary. I don't have time to go into all of it, but let me just say this. Of all the people that Jesus would have been expected to talk to, it would not have been a woman given his situation and talking to her by himself as he was, and certainly not a woman of Samaria. The Samaritans were despised. They weren't just disrespected, they were despised. And yet Jesus goes out of his way to go through Samaria because he has an appointment. To talk with this woman. I don't mean a literal appointment. She hadn't called him up and scheduled one. It was what we call a divine appointment. Ordained by God, the Father, for Jesus to be there. It becomes very evident. And the conversation doesn't go in the way that she thinks it's going to go. And in the middle of all of it, we have a wonderful, glorious few verses. All of it is wonderful. But what I want to focus in on are the couple of verses, verses 23 through 24, that speak of worship. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And we'll stop there. I ask the Lord to bless this reading of his word. It is extraordinary to consider that our Heavenly Father is seeking someone. Now, when I think about going after something, I typically think of going after things of value. After all, if you're going to make any effort to, to pursue something, it usually is someone or something of value. Since Kathy's up here on the front row, I'll use her as an example when I was uh, a senior in seminary and she showed up on campus to be a part of the marriage and family therapy program, as I've shared with you before, she flashed those big blue eyes at me and I decided there was someone worth pursuing. It took me a while, but thanks be to God that it happened and she let me pursue her. Someone of value. Think of other things that you've gone searching for, perhaps like someone I know Recently that I heard about had uh, had mislaid their uh, driver's license, needed to find it, searched high and low for it, other things that we look for of value. But when I think about sinners who are lost, God doesn't pursue us because we're valuable, not like the things that I've mentioned, the way that they are valuable to us. God sought after us because he determined to love us, not because we were lovable. So it's extraordinary to find in this passage that the Father is seeking someone. He is seeking true worshipers, as we read right there in our text. 
We don't find that anywhere else. We need him. God doesn't need us. And yet he seeks after true worshipers. What is it to worship the Lord God? It is to consider his worth and his value, to consider how priceless a treasure he is. And of course, it's only by his grace that we would be in a position where we are seeking after him. It is because he has first sought after us. Here it is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. So as we think about what it means to be a true worshiper, we find in this passage some help in the matter. I mean, after all, if worship is going to be a priority, we need to know why it is valuable. We need to know what worship is. Well, true worship, first of all, is in the Holy Spirit. As Jesus here says, that as the Father seeks after true worshipers, we must worship in spirit and truth. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then repeat it again in verse 24. So, if our worship is to be true worship, it must be in the Holy Spirit. Philippians 3.3, 3, Paul speaks of our being the circumcision. That's the way he uh, the language that he uses, he uses to speak of Christians as being the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What does that mean? It means that only by means of the person of the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, is a person. We're going to be talking about the Trinity next week, why we believe in the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit, being a person, indwells us as believers and only as the Spirit himself indwells us are we able to worship God as we ought to. We don't enter into his presence and try to impress him with our looks or our language or our good efforts. We can only worship him because the Spirit of God enables us. I mean, after all, how would we be believers unless the Holy Spirit had opened our eyes and shown us our need of a Savior? Paul speaks of our condition apart from Christ in Ephesians chapter 1 as being dead in sins and trespasses, or rather Ephesians chapter 2. That's, uh, you know, that, that's not something that commends us in our spiritual condition. Only as the Holy Spirit raises us to life, showing us our need of the Lord Jesus and drawing us to him, are we able to trust in Christ. And so only as the Holy Spirit indwells us are we able to worship God, truly worship him. And much more can be said about that. But let's move on and see that true worship, which must be in the Holy Spirit, must also be spiritual and not merely intellectual or otherwise some sort of physical activity. Worship, one of its definitions, of course, conveys the, the notion of bowing, of casting yourself down in the presence of someone. So there is a, a physical aspect of worship. But true worship is spiritual. It's not something that can be achieved through mere physical means. I mean, think of it this way. A few minutes ago, the offering plates were passed. And it's not like we're going to impress God or he otherwise is going to let us into his presence because of the amount of money that we place in an offering plate. Or because we managed to comb our hair the right way this morning. I always have to throw in hair references, you know. 
let you know that it doesn't bother me. God doesn't accept us because of any of those things. No, worship is something that is spiritual in nature. We may appear to be worshiping God on the outside, but on the inside, our minds, our hearts could be a long way off. I can remember sitting in American government class in the 10th grade at Tuscola High School when Miss Queen was up there lecturing. And Miss Queen would give you a good grade if you would look her in the face and nod when she looked at you. I mean, that's the way she lectured. She'd, she'd zero right in on you and try to make a point. And if you had drifted off somewhere, you were done. So you'd look at her and nod. Well, I learned. I could drift off and go places and still look at Miss Queen and nod my head when she looked at me. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you. <clears throat> That is not to be commended, and I don't want my grandson to carry that with him in life. But we can outwardly appear to be worshiping the Lord. We can appear to be very sincere, but only God knows the heart. And so Psalm 51 is very helpful to us in this matter. Verses 10 through 12, first of all, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. See, we're talking about things that are invisible to the people that are around us. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. All through here, he's talking about those inward things that must happen if we have a truly repentant heart toward God. And if worship is truly to be acceptable. Skipping into verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. What's that? That's something physical, visible that you do. Actually bringing a sacrifice to the temple, an animal of some sort, and offering it there for the priest, rather, to offer on the altar. That's something that's seen, but God is not interested in the things that are visible that otherwise would be impressive to others. goes on and says, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And then verse 17, he says something extraordinary. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Think about that. What do we have that we could offer to God? A broken heart. A broken and contrite spirit and heart. Those things God will not despise. But you see, those things are not readily apparent or visible. We're talking about an inward condition, something that is wrought by the Holy Spirit of God. And so if we're going to worship God in spirit that it must be in this way. Thus, it means being indwelt by the Spirit. That means being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we could not be in a position where we believe in Christ, except for the Holy Spirit enables us. So we are indwelt by the Spirit as a believer in Jesus. We thus are seeking him as he has sought us and found us. And then worshiping him spiritually. With hearts that are broken over sin and Hearts that rejoice in the things of God. Yes, things that we can fake. We can look like we're doing it. And yet our hearts be very far from God. In fact, God speaks of that in his word. With your lips you serve me, but your hearts are far from me. So we must worship him in spirit. But we also must worship him in truth. Which means that it is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth. 
Our worship's not acceptable in any other way except through Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, you see that? How is it that we have access unto the holy places? How is it that we're able to pray and expect to be heard by God, to have God our Father as an audience? It is because of the blood of Jesus shed at Calvary's cross. Only through Jesus do we have access. But, oh, what access we have. In a little while, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, if I don't make the point, I'll go ahead and make it now. You don't come through me to access the elements of this supper. We have bread and juice from the grape here, vino. It's for all of us. Jesus is our great high priest. I am not the mediator. I am not the intercessor. I am not the priest in that sense. We all are a priesthood together. And we come through the Lord Jesus and thus have access to the Holy of Holies by his blood. That's extraordinary. You don't just have to say, preacher, will you pray for me? You're able to pray because Christ is our Savior. So he's the one who is the new and living way and has opened for us through the curtain of his flesh, this access unto the throne. See, the temple or the tabernacle before that had a separation between the holy place and the holiest of holy places. Only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. But the Lord Jesus has come. And now through faith in him, we have access into the Holy of Holies. When he died on the cross and the ground shook, rocks were torn open. And the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the Bible says. A, a piece of fabric that some writers had said was as thick as a man's hand is wide. Torn in that moment. Because Jesus has gained access for us. True worship must be through him and in him. And true worship must be truthful worship. The next two verses in Hebrews 10, 21 and 22. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Stop here just a minute. You ever had anybody tell you, well, it depends on who you know. Maybe you needed something done at uh, some local government office. Maybe it was somebody in a company, and you're asking for a favor, and maybe somebody said, well, it depends on who you know. Well, it does. When it comes to matters of faith and it comes to matters of worship, it depends on who you know. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know the right one. He is the one who is over the house of God. He, he can't be outranked by anyone. You don't go over his head. He is the one you need. Verse 22. So let us draw near with a true heart, a sincere heart, not play acting, not going through the motions, but a heart that is truly broken over sin, a heart that is truly yielded to him with that true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts. Here's a good Presbyterian word sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So true worship must be truthful worship, offered with sincere hearts through faith in the Lord Jesus, knowing that his sacrifice alone gains us access to the Father. And we remember that today. As we come to this supper of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have visible, tangible reminders given to us by Jesus himself 
of the sacrifice made so that we may have access, so that we may truly worship God and not just go through motions. You see, the world thinks we're just going through motions. I saw a video this past week of a girl on YouTube who says that prayer is nothing but talking to an invisible friend that doesn't exist. That's what the world thinks of us. But those of us who know him know better. So we worship him because he really is there. Invisible? Yes. But there. And yet these elements are visible reminders. Things that we can hold and see and taste. Reminding us that Jesus really did come. And he really is at the Father's right hand. And he really does intercede for us. And so we're acceptable to the Father through him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do rejoice in Christ our Savior. And ask your blessing now as we prepare to come to his table. That, Father, our hearts may be sincere and truthful. That by means of the Spirit himself, we may experience the very presence of the Lord Jesus here. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we, as we come to this table, I want to first of all remind you that it is the Lord's table. It's not a Presbyterian table. And what I mean by that is that you don't have to be a member of this church in order to partake of this supper. Anyone who is a believer in the Lord Jesus, you've repented of your sins and trusted in Christ and made a public declaration of Him. And any body of believers like this, when you are welcome to be a part of this supper. I'm sorry about the microphone. Just going to turn it off. And so you are welcome to be a part of this supper as a believer in the Lord Jesus. Because we know in heaven, after all, we're not going to be divided up, right? The Presbyterians are over here and the Baptists are here. It's not going to be like that. It is important, though, as I'm going to read in just a moment, that even as believers, that we come acknowledging our sin, that we come in a worthy manner. And people get hung up on the word worthy. What does it mean to be worthy? Somehow means that you've been living pretty good this week or this month. Haven't gotten off the rails too far. Wandered too far out in the weeds? No, in a worthy manner means that you are confessing and acknowledging sin. Repenting of it. Now, we have to do it a lot. We have to do it all the time. That word is in a tense in the New Testament. That means it is an ongoing, continuing action. It's not a once and done. We have to keep repenting. But we're not trying to redefine our sin. We're not trying to do the things that God says are evil and call them good. We... Repent of those. We turn away from them and we flee to Christ and we're doing that all the time. So come in a worthy manner and come acknowledging that you need the Lord. You're saying to him, in effect, Lord, I need your sacrifice. I can't get there any other way. I can't endure the wrath of God. But Jesus has interposed his own blood for us that we have access even unto the Father. And so, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
The Apostle Paul gives us words that we speak of, the words of institution. It's important to know that we're doing this because we're commanded in Scripture. Anything that's offered in worship should be something that we're instructed to offer in God's Word. Not just because we've gotten together and decided it would be a really cool thing to do. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See? This, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So we realize the reverence of this moment. It is a celebration for those who come repenting and trusting because, you know, There's forgiveness. This sacrifice of the Lord Jesus is everything to me. It means my sins are forgiven and I'm cleansed. But if we come presumptively, if we come in any way other than in humility and in brokenness and in repentance, we're coming in a way that is not true worship. So may God bless us to come humbly rejoicing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you, O Lord, for the bread and for the cup. And we ask you as we partake together that you might so bless this meal that we would experience the true presence of the Lord Jesus. Not because the elements are transformed into anything other than what they are, but because Christ, who dwells at your right hand, is here with us by means of the Holy Spirit. That we may be strengthened and encouraged in our faith. That even where there are doubts... That by eating and drinking, we may be reminded of a real sacrifice offered upon a real cross. Real blood that was shed in a time of real agony. That results in a real rescue. For those who cast their eyes and look by faith upon the one who died. And that we may look beyond the cross. To a tomb that will forever be empty. Because our Lord is resurrected. So, Father, impress upon our hearts these glorious truths as we ask your blessing and offer thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll ask the elders to come as we prepare to pass the tray and remind you that on the night in which he was betrayed, as the Lord Jesus prayed, and we've just done that in his name, he took the bread and broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We'll ask as you take the elements that you hold them until everyone is served, and then we'll all eat and drink. Thank you.
And in the same manner, after the supper, the Lord Jesus took the cup, which I now take, and I offer to you it in his name. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for the moments of quiet. As trays were passed, as we were able to contemplate and think about the wondrous sacrifice 
made for us once for all and for the glorious benefits of the cross so that we might look forward to heaven and the celebration of this supper anew in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus. Father, it's more than we can fathom. But we're grateful for these moments we've had to reflect and to partake. And we ask your blessing that our hearts may long linger in thought as we consider the Lord Jesus to preach to ourselves. There is a Redeemer. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, that's our song. Let's stand and sing it as we close. There is a Redeemer. Now, in just a moment, I'll pronounce the benediction. And remember, if you want to come up and uh, share prayer requests with an elder, with Rachel, with others who are here, you're welcome to do that. Uh, Mr. A.J. Clemens, I've known him all my life, went home to be with the Lord this past week. A wonderful Christian, demonstrated Christ-likeness in our whole community. And I was thinking about how much better we will be there than anyone could possibly be here. And none of us knows when that day will come. But I hope you leave here ready. And I hope you leave here just a little bit more practiced at worship. 
than you were when you came. And until that day, or until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, 